Workshops are sonic playgrounds. The metallic ting of tools, grinders, buzzing saws. I've always loved working with tools and listening to the sounds they produce. Depending on the type of workshop, their sounds can vary quite dramatically. The one we're visiting today specializes in bodywork for automobiles. The textured soundscape is punctuated by clanks of metal on metal. Let's see what we can put together. Welcome to Audio from Space. Well, no, not that space. The space I'm talking about is a space like this. Or a space like this. All right, all right, I know you get the idea, so let me introduce myself. I'm Matt McCorkle. Join me and my friends as we explore sound and music from all different types of spaces. Today, we're going to collect sounds from this workshop and transform them into a beat. Then we'll head into my studio with Charles Yang, a close friend and all-star violinist. Charles has performed in spaces all around the globe, from huge concert halls with full orchestras to packed NYC music venues. He's pretty much a space master. Or in other words, a master of understanding how his instrument reacts to different spaces. Let's take a listen to this workshop. There are loads of interesting sounds littered throughout this soundscape. This ratchet's tiny gears will make a great accent. This little guy will make a great accent as well. The heavy timbre of this monkey wrench will provide a nice downbeat. We can splice up the drone of this metal grinder into a wild rhythm. Yeah! The sound of this wrench tightening will be a great transition. Yes, I like this one. This tape is wild. This opening garage door will provide a nice backdrop to our beat. Some of these sounds have similar timbres, notably the metal tools. Timbre is the characteristic or quality of a musical sound or voice. It's like the color of a sound. For instance, a piano and guitar can play the same pitch and obtain the same volume, but still sound very different. This difference is timbre. While our metal tools aren't all in the same pitch, nor do they have the same volume, they are all made of steel and thus have similar sound colors. We can manipulate our workshop sounds with digital audio software to compress, saturate, equalize, and maybe even pitch them into distinctive timbres. Let's go build it up. <laughs> Listen closely as our sounds are introduced. Then Charles is going to process his NS Design electric violin through various sound effects to achieve different sound colors.
Let's go hang with Charles. Hey, I'm Charles Yang, and I'm a musician from Austin, Texas, currently living in New York City. My main instrument is the violin. Born and raised as a classical musician, but I'm getting into all types of genres of music because it's it's a never-ending uh, video game for me, you know? <laughs> Wait, how do you collect points in this video game? Well, you see, you just keep collecting. You just keep collecting. There's no, there's no limit to your collection in this in this in this game. That's what I love about music is that you can just you're always a student in music. I love that analogy. Music is like playing a video game. You're just bolstering yourself up. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes you got to pay that dollar for the extra level. You know, <laughs> it's a it's a pretty expensive um, career path. Understood. But it's uh it's true. I mean, the the gain from it that you get, it's just it's so vast and abundant. Well, let me ask my next question here. When did you start playing violin? I started playing at three years old. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, my mom is a violinist, so um, naturally, when I was three, of course, that's the perfect age, right? When I was three years old, she handed me this like shoe-sized violin. So um, it was like a little tiny. It's a little tiny violin. <laughs> <I love> that. <laughs> yeah, this tiny little thing um, that you know just made little tinkering noises, but you could learn violin on it. She taught you then. She taught me. She taught me up until the age of around 10 or 11 before she sent me off to um, to some other teachers. Oh, that's got to be a really beautiful experience. I mean, especially for her. I'm sure for you at times it was no, probably... No, well, you know, it was pretty tough for both of us. Really? Let me tell you that. I mean, <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm not really the most... You know, I wasn't exactly the greatest student or, or son during lesson hours. Um, because all I wanted to do was go out and play with my friends, you know? I didn't want to practice the violin. I didn't sound good, you know? You can't just pick up a violin and sound anywhere decent. It takes years and years. Just to even get the technique down, right? Just to get a good sound. It's not like a piano where you can play, you know, a major chord and it sounds correct. You know, on a violin, if you're trying to play a major chord, you gotta, you gotta fix your fingers in the completely right place like just a, just a millimeter will make it sound like a different kind of chord. So, um, yeah, it it wasn't it wasn't uh, pleasant for me. And my mom had to juggle, you know, um, caring for her son, let alone her student as well. So, what is the wildest space or place you've ever performed in? Man, um, you know, I've I've played in many many great places i've played concert halls great concert halls uh i've played little clubs i've played uh conferences you know um different spaces schools i've played school gyms and <laughs> just the span of my career has been you know wherever wherever there is a place you can just pick up the violin and play it's not like a piano where you have to ship it over um, so the violin is very portable. I can play it wherever. But I got to say, I played um, called Quartet for the End of Time recently, not recently, like three years ago, three or four years ago, in Moab, Utah, in this grotto cave area where it was just this open natural space that, you know, water had created this grotto, the space um, where you can only get to by boat. Wow, really? And they shipped the piano over there. They shipped about 200 people 
um, audience members. And I played this amazing piece by Messian where it is about nature. It starts with nature and bird calls and it ends with this amazing violin piano solo that just eats away at your heart. But to hear the echo, to hear the the kind of um, reverb within this space and just the silence when when we weren't playing. Oh, I'm sure that's was beautiful. Unbelievable. You don't get that anywhere else. True. If you're in the city, even at Carnegie Hall, you have the subway under you. Oh, yeah. If you're at a club, uh, you have patrons at the bar. That's a really interesting point. Yeah, and if you check out the piece, the first movement starts with all these bird calls. And we were doing that. And because it's nature, the only silence there was was you can hear the river um, trickling in the background. But you can also hear these birds. They would call back during... Um, at least this was for my performance in the in the actual piece. There's no birds, but um, the first movement is bird calls, and it's so interesting for us playing this piece to play these bird calls and then hear actual live birds. So I think the space is just as much uh, of an importance as your instrument is. You know, your instrument, and especially with violins, um, violins is something you're finding. You're trying to find a life partner there. And they don't come cheap, you know. Violins sometimes they range from like twenty dollars all, all the way until ten million dollars. And as a professional musician, the average violin that most people will go towards with a, if you call a pro in quotations, a pro violin, ranges from twenty thousand dollars to ten million dollars. So to find that instrument to first connect with is very difficult. But then you have to take it into a hall to really test it out to see if it projects within a hall. Um, so that's that's the importance of finding that one fiddle or violin that you call your soulmate. Because there's great violins out there that sound great in a small room, but when you take it out in a hall, in a big hall, it doesn't project. So for my case, my violin, uh, I know it so well. I've been playing it for so many years. Um, you know, I, I know how to adjust to different situations. So for example, this cave, because there was such a heavy delay slapback you know and where I was playing was very dry like under the ear I felt like it was so dry like you know there's no reverb at all but to the audience they're just hearing this wash of sound mm-hmm. um, so I knew how to manipulate that in a way and and you know in concert halls too it's uh, true, true. every concert hall is different um, but actually in concert halls you know if if you step a, a, a little too far towards the edge of the stage where the curtain usually comes in, the sound just kind of dies there. You know, there's a certain place to, and that's why if you go to an orchestral concert, mm-hmm. you see them placed in a certain way where the sound actually hits many, many of the, you know, the acoustical spaces in that space, if that makes sense. That totally does. That's amazing insight into picking a violin. Well, it's interesting too, because as a classical musician, as opposed to a rock musician with in-ear monitors, a rock musician can look over to monitor engineer and be like, I need a little more bass, I need less keys, and I need more kick and snare, um, and turn my vocal up with more reverb. Oh yeah, with an acoustic group, if you're playing any kind of classical music, uh, there's no adjustments within uh, monitoring, right? Um, If you're doing a solo with an orchestra, they're behind you the whole time, and they're you know, in real time, adjusting uh, their monitor level. There is no monitor, right? And they're adjusting to you, right? Exactly. Or I adjust to them, you know, and that's why orchestras rehearse every week 
they're pretty much adjusting to fit the sonic need of that piece, you know, um, because there is no, you know, you can't ask someone to mm-hmm. turn up more bass or turn up. <laughs> totally. That's what the conductor does. He, yeah. he tells the bass players to either play lo- less or play more and um, or whatever instrument. And that's that's the beauty of it. And, you know, it's uh, it's in real time. If you could perform in any space, where would it be? And now I have to preface, you said the thing about Mohab, which is awesome. And it's mm-hmm. you've kind of already like answered this question. I already the played that. You already though. played it. But if you could play anywhere, where would it be? Even even on the ISS station. Oh man. Yeah. See that's that Did that, I just answer your question? You you kinda like, oh I mean, that's that's amazing. That that you know, that curiosity of what's uh what would it sound like in space what where there is sound no like? sound, you know? Well, there would be Audio sound from as, space, long as, as long as you have a medium to which sound can travel through, mm-hmm. you could produce sound in space. Man, that's you're getting my mind all like worked up. What is it? Yeah, it's interesting. Sound has to be contained in space, right? It has to have a vessel to... It just Sound just has to have a medium to travel mm, through. Right. So they always say there's no sound in space because sound's not going to travel in interstellar space. Right. But if you're on a spaceship or something... Right, if you're on a spaceship or, with, with uh, walls around you, uh, there's sound, of course, right? But what happens when, when that sound gets... If there's... Let's just... We never want this for any space station. But what if there's a tiny peephole into space... On the ISS or, or any space station, uh, and I'm playing inside the space station. Does any of that sound gets? Uh, does that leak through that hole into space? What what happens? There was a <laughs> tiny little hole. Yeah, nobody would be playing. Would rip, yeah, rip exactly. I would not be playing. I know for a fact that um, I have a small uh, like opening that leaks out into uh, my neighbor's apartment, oh, and really? they hear it all the time. Oh, and they hear it through that little, was it a hole in the wall, hole in the floor? Or? Uh, it might be a vent. I don't know. Oh, gotcha. But they love it. It's fine. That's good. The space is way different. But to answer your question from all this <laughs> this physics talk right here, um, yeah, man, it's like stuff like that is, you know, of course, I'll probably never get to do that. But Well, I wouldn't um, say I wouldn't say never. Who knows? Yeah, okay. All right. All right. Keep, a, keep an eye on it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I I would love to play in a space where I've never played before. And I'm excited for this tour because for two months, we're only playing arenas. Wow. <laughs> this tour is only arenas. So it's it the, the largest number of people that I've played for was probably that CDZA event that we did, which was in, what? In Vegas? Yeah, in Vegas. I think that was about... 15,000? Yeah, 15 20, or something like yeah. that. It was huge. I mean, they had bikes that they would go around on. Yeah. Remember that? <laughs> yeah, that was that was scary. It was like this. It wasn't like a concert setting either. It was just like this open room. It was just vast, a warehouse. Open, yeah, warehouse. But I'll tell you room. what, they had the fastest internet that I have ever experienced <laughs> in my entire life. Well, they better. It's Google, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, so, so this arena thing. You know, I've never played in a. I've never truly played a full show in an arena before. So. This will be interesting, and it's like the minimum people in these in these shows is like twelve thousand people. So yeah, a usual concert hall is about three thousand people, two two to three thousand people. So it's gonna be a new experience for me for sure. But I'm excited, you know. Totally. Thank you so much. I really Thank appreciate you, it. Thank you, sir. This has been fun. Over the past year, I produced an album with Charles and his co-collaborator, pianist Peter Dugan. Peter is an extraordinary musical talent with a masterful knowledge of the piano. What's up? 
this is the voice of Peter Dugan calling, please enjoy home. Today 
cigarette Find another flame for your allergy One less illusion of priority I've come home Sound and music are everywhere. Explore the sounds in this piece to create your own production. Head to audiofrom.space and download the goodie bag full of awesome sounds from this episode.